Welcome to Wide Eyes, a podcast made to uplift and educate others about the Asian American community. My name is Anu. I'm Katie. And this is Neil. Today, we'll be discussing anti-Asian racism. So let's first start off in understanding what stereotype, prejudice, and racism are first. The first one is stereotypes, and we got this from Lumen. And stereotypes mean, um, or stereotypes are oversimplified generalizations about groups of people. Stereotypes can be based on race, ethnicity, age, gender, sexual orientation, and almost any characteristics. And then for prejudice, discrimination, and racism, we got this from the National Association of School Psychologists. Prejudice is irrational or unjustifiable negative emotions or evaluations toward persons from other social groups, and it is primary determinant of discriminatory behavior. And discrimination refers to inappropriate treatment of people because of their actual or perceived group members and may include both overt and covert behaviors, including microaggressions or indirect or subtle behaviors, for example, comments, and um, that reflects negative attitudes or beliefs about a non-majority group. And then racism refers to prejudice or discrimination against individuals or groups based on beliefs about one's own racial superiority or the belief that race reflects inherent differences in attributes and capabilities. And what I want to add to that is that by learning about these definitions and also these differences to prejudice, stereotypes, and discrimination, it made me realize that I did experience a racial discrimination that could have also led into a racist act. It happened at the beginning of the pandemic last year. At that time, I had a situation with the DMV. And before I went to the DMV office, of course, I had already called in and tried to make an appointment on their website. However, each time I would be sent to a robot talking to me, literally a robot. And that was not helpful at all. Like it didn't help much. And plus the website was down. Therefore, it made me, you know, I had to go in person, you know, like, why wouldn't I, you know, because it was a situation that I had to get done and situated so I went in person and tried to get the help that I needed so when I got to one of the DMV office locations right before I could even step a foot okay a step foot through the door entrance one of the workers came out and asked if I had an appointment I tried to explain my situation to that person but they just turned me away and they told me that I needed to make an appointment in advance. But here's the thing, okay, everyone, I did try to set an appointment on their website, but their website was down. And another backstory is that while I was there getting questioned, an individual that was literally right behind me got through. Also, this individual was Caucasian. And so was the worker who talked to me. So I was like, all right, I'm cool. I'm just going to go back to my sibling's car. And that's what I did. And I did not want to jump the gun, you know, that and say that, oh, this was a racial discrimination right off the bat. So I was like, okay, let's just lay low, stay in the car. And I waited to see if anyone else besides me was getting questioned or were not allowed in. To my surprise, everybody after me got through the door and was not stopped nor questioned outside the building. I was the only individual, the only person 
that was stopped outside of the building. And here's the thing. I was the only Asian there while they were all Caucasian. Not much of a surprise, is there? I did not want to admit that, you know, people or like society in general really caved in or believed into the phrases of the Kung Flu virus or the Chinese virus that was circling around the media, especially in this pandemic. Like as disappointing as it is, the majority automatically link Asians as the origin of the virus. Like I do not understand nor comprehend the reasoning behind that logic. And it's just so frustrating, like literally frustrating. What happened to me was a minor incident. Despite that, it made me learn that it could have been worse or even escalated to something bigger. More importantly, I've realized that through my personal experience, what happened was a racial discrimination act. And moving forward, I hope that we can have these type of conversation, civil conversation with an open mind and open heart, you know, to just validate each other's experiences because these experiences that we all have matters. Yeah, first off, new like, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. It just sucks. It honestly just sucks. Um, And I even hate that, like, I'm saying this, but I think it needs, well, not needs to be addressed. Like, when you were telling me this, I kind of thought to myself, like, you know, how do you know those people behind you? Like, what if they had an appointment? You know, it would have been a valid reason for them to go in. But then I thought about it again when you were saying, like, you didn't even reach the building. Like, you didn't even go in. And they stopped you in front of the building. And so the fact that they didn't even get stopped, like plain discrimination right there, right? The fact that you got stopped outside the building, regardless if you had a meeting or not, right? The fact that they didn't get stopped outside of the building to to check that they had a meeting. Yeah, that's just, let's just keep these thoughts. (laughs) Ain't nobody trying to cuss up a storm today. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I also, sorry, I also want to add that um, I feel like at the end of the day, your feelings and the experience you went through were valid at that moment and mm-hmm. are still valid at this moment. You know, like it doesn't take away of the feeling you felt at that moment or right now. Yeah, thank you. So like, um, you know, just right off the bat when new, Anu, I'm so sorry. Anyway, I just want to like go back into what Anu mentioned earlier when she was breaking down the definitions of prejudice, discrimination, you know, uh, stereotypes and racism. A moment I recall that I felt the person was stereotyping me and it was when um, we were both in high school she was one of my close friends at that time I remember we were talking about um, you know social class like um, where do you come from and what is your background and just like you know um, questions that are kind of like getting to know more of that person. And um, I was telling her that, oh, yeah, I come from a low income household, you know, because um, my mom, she is a single mother. And being a low income household, there are hardships and obstacles and challenges, just like any other individuals who go through um, whatever social class that they go, they are in. And somehow, I don't know how this topic was brought up, but she started to say things like, I don't approve of 
of low-income household using government-funded programs, which um, I, my family, we do use, you know, government-funded programs because, you know, we are in need of an extra help. So she brought that up and I was, I was not aware of that being a stereotype and I just went along with what she said as time went by she continued to say those things to me when I didn't even bring it up she will always constantly like whenever we're um, having a discussion she'll always bring that topic up saying how she disapprove of it I think this have to maybe stem from people generalizing that all Asians are rich which you know, that is not the case. And I feel like uh, um, in society, many individuals, they like characterize us into one category, thinking that, oh, all Asians make money, all Asians are smart, you know, with those type of stereotypes, which it's not true, not all Asians fall into that category. And there are many diverse groups within the Asian communities. At that moment, you know, I was unaware of all of this, I was still in my high school years, I was a teen, I did not know much about this. And now that we're talking about anti-Asian racism, and what's going on in this climate, it just made me realize, wow, I did experience someone stereotyping me before, but I never once really thought about it until what's going on in our society right now. And I feel the need to just share my story because although I was unaware of it at that time in my life, now that I'm more aware and like educated and knowing these type of stuff, um, I can come to a sense of understanding that, you know, I went through that. And I, I don't want to say I'm okay, but I am okay. But you know, it's never okay to um, stereotype someone because that's not true. You know, you don't know where they come from. It all comes from, instead of like stereotyping someone, how about like getting to know them just for who they are, right? Like, uh, besides, uh, what is your race? What is your ethnicity? You know, ask them, um, what are your hobbies? Things like that. I, I love that you mentioned unaware. Like, um, for me, I feel like growing up, I honestly, like, I just always go back to the agency dogs because that's the one, like, I have the most experience with. And growing up, you know, it's just kind of like a joke, like, ha, 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 yeah, we do eat dogs. And it's just, I didn't realize I was enforcing those stereotypes because I didn't realize that they were stereotypes. Um, I guess, you know, I, I never really, I want to say like, you know, it was more like a joking matter. So I feel like that that's the reason why, like, I didn't second guess it. Um, and I didn't, you know, really think too much into it. It's just because, you know, like, we were just joking around. Yeah, but but I guess, um, you know, when when I really started to think about, you know, enforcing these stereotypes was when um, I was in my first year of uh, college and I like I knew there was this I, f- I just feel like going asking to get help is like there's so much of a stigma in it of itself like you don't want to be that person who's going to the tutoring center right especially you know just right off like like now like as a fourth year like going to fourth year is just like I need help where is it at right but I feel like you know I was a freshman just you know right out of high school and there was, there was just this stigma that we feel like uh, at least for I felt like you know going to get help like I'm stupid right and people are people are gonna think that and it didn't help like the very first day of 
my uh, tutoring session, this this person made a comment, and it was like a chemistry, right? It doesn't help the fact that it was also a science class. Um, you know, this person was just like, you're Asian, shouldn't you know this stuff? And I was just like, what? I was just kind of taken aback, like, I guess, but like, I'm not, I guess I'm not the smart Asian, right? And so, you know, just for tactic wise, you know, just kind of laugh it off. You know, so it doesn't make the, the situation awkward. But had I, you know, had I been as mature as I am now and like grown to be like the individual I am now, like I would have put that person in their place, right? You know, no matter how small, like even though that was like a small comment, like nonetheless, it was still like a racist, you know, stereotype. And so, yeah, I, I'm just, first off, I'm so thankful that um, I've never encountered like any racist discrimination whatsoever. Um, and I think I'm really privileged to not have experienced that. But I think, you know, we all experience some form of racism, like no matter how small it is. And I think everyone's feelings and everyone's experiences are valid, no matter how big or how small. No, yeah, thank you, Anu. And what I wanted to add to that is that when you mentioned how you went in for tutoring for help, but then this person, you know, asked you like, oh, shouldn't you know this because you're Asian? It just makes me think about like, oh my God, he fell or he or she or that person is fell into this belief of the model minority myth. And for those that don't know the model minority myth, it is a created myth that started in the 1960s. But then how I came to understand more about this myth was actually, you know, first year into college and taking my um, Asian American studies class. And, you know, just learning more about like ethnic studies and also understanding the historical facts of like the model minority myth and how it affects the Asian community. And it all started back with like a Time Magazine article that portrayed Asians as like crazy rich, that good at math, like just what Anu mentioned earlier about that assumption that her tutor thought of her, you know, that she should, you know, automatically be good at math because she's Asian or that, you know, they're law abiding and that they are, you know, more successful in comparison to other minorities. But then this myth itself, is just only categorizes Asians as the model minority. And not only did, does it erases Asian suffering and the struggles historically, but it is also used to demonize the black indigenous and people of color communities for living in poverty and by denying the existence of systematic racism. You know what's funny is I didn't even realize there was a model minority myth until like basically in college when Mm -hmm. I learned there was such thing as a model minority myth. Mm -hmm. Same here. Because Mm -hmm. these stereotypes have just been around. Like Mm -hmm. you should be good at math. You should be playing the piano. And it's just Mm -hmm. I didn't realize model minority myth was a thing. I just thought like Mm -hmm. these were expectations, you know, not only from our parents but from society. And so that's why I think it's important to realize that this is a thing because growing up, like I had unrealistic expectations upon myself, like never asking for help, figuring out everything on my own. You know, I have to succeed or else I'm a failure. You know, obviously just growing up in Asian household, like these were like expectations, but not only from, it doesn't help that society enforces these expectations on us. And so I think it's so important to talk about the model minority myth. And it's just, it's a stereotype that, you know, it's, it sucks and um, it should be gone. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with you, Anu. And like how you mentioned, like, you know, just not knowing, like we knew of these stereotypes, but then the fact that 
it had to like basically hit us till when we got to college to understand that mm-hmm. oh my god this is part of the model minority myth and it just made me realize that all those years of me you know you know k through 12 like how important ethnic studies is and that never once was it implemented you know and to realize that you know how big of a deal it is to for people to understand that this it is part of history and people should know about it but it's just sad that people don't and I feel like for me reaching to college to finally understand that wow you know these stereotypes are real and it is part of this model minority myth that should be dismantled and going on to that the model minority myth it goes reverse or like goes back to the yellow peril and for those that don't know what the yellow peril is the yellow peril you know it's been since the 19th centuries refers back to the concept of westerns fearing that asian has invaded their homeland taken their jobs and their american dream and it basically depicted asians as some sort of evil storm that has robbed a western's new life in the u.s and at that time it was the expansion westward um back in the 19th centuries so with what new and a new mention about the model minority myth and yellow peril it goes forward towards the chinese exclusion act of 1882 so for those that don't know what it is it is the first and only major law to explicitly suspend immigration for a specific nationality into the united states which is in this case chinese and many Americans on the West Coast attribute declining wages and economic ills to Chinese workers, basically blaming the Chinese for the decrease in jobs. And they also persisted in their stereotyping of the Chinese as degraded, exotic, dangerous, and competitors for jobs and wages. However, it's ridiculous. The Chinese only comprise only 0.002% of the nation's population. But to calm the tensions, Congress passed the Exclusion Act to placate worker demands and ease prevalent concerns about maintaining white racial parity, which I just think it's ridiculous, the term of racial parity, what that is. And um, the Exclusion Act had a dramatic impacts on Chinese immigrants and their communities, such as there's a decreased number of Chinese immigrants coming to the United States, and those who do come they had to be detained for weeks or years just to be granted or denied of entry. Families were forced apart and businesses were closed down because of severe restrictions on female immigrants and that lead to patterns of young men migrating alone. It's, it sucks that the Chinese Exclusion Act ever really happened. And I think this was because of the uh, the Chinese completing the Transcontinental Railroad. And I think this is so, Im- first off, why the heck was this not taught to us in in K through twelve? Like, what the heck? Like, it just yeah, yes. this, it's mind blowing. Yeah, and I completely agree with you, New. <laughs> yeah, like this happened in California, right? Like, why are we not learning about this until you know an elective class, might I add, for Asian American studies? It's just you know, I didn't even learn about. Chinese building the railroad. And I remember, if you guys look this up, the when the Transcontinental Railroad was finished, they took a picture, a celebratory picture. And guess who was on the picture? All white men. Where the hell were the Asian laborers who 
built it with their bare hands. I, I don't understand why we're not being taught in our history books. And um, a- another thing I want to bring up is Wong Kim Ark. He was the, his case set precedent that if you are born in the United States, no matter your nationality, as long as you're born in the United States, you are a United States citizen. This case of a Chinese person, might I add, set precedent for futures to come. And so wh- why is that not taught? It... <sighs> It just sucks that this is taught in an elective class in college because you want to learn about it, right? This this should be taught everywhere because we as Asians have made such a huge impact on the United States, in the United States, you know, railroads, citizenship. Um, it's just, it's just, it's frustrating. It's just frustrating. It's, it's frustrating. I want to add even though they say this is the Chinese Exclusion Act, you know, when they say Chinese, they mean all Asians, okay? They refer us Chinese. So it doesn't matter if this is called the Chinese Exclusion Act. They're basically saying that if you're Asian, you can't enter. I'm going to say, you know, add on to it, like, um, that's completely true because I feel like no matter what, they should take the initiative to understand that Chinese doesn't just mean Asian. Mm-hmm. or Asian is Chinese because there are so many ethnicities different groups of um different ethnicity groups of Asians you know so there's like Japanese and then of course Chinese Koreans Vietnamese Hmong Cambodians it's so diverse and there's so many of us that it's disappointing the fact that they always categorize Asians as Chinese or Chinese as Asians and with that Chinese Chinese exclusion act that really harmed majority of us you know of the asian community mm-hmm. from you know entering the u.s at that time yeah and it's not just feelings like with this chinese exclusion act asians were wearing pins like i'm korean i'm japanese to make sure that they're able to distinguish i'm not chinese right and it sucks that there was such a divide i feel like you know this could be a whole other topic too because there's pros and cons to creating that division but i feel like at the root of it all, like, you know, as much as we want to say, like, you should have stood up for your fellow Asians, like, you should have, like, become in solidarity, right? I think we have to realize that it is a different time, right? Late 1800s, early 1900s, like, people were actively being racist. And so there's that fear, like, I don't blame them at all, no matter how much I want to say, like, you should have helped them. It was just different times. And if you really wanted to survive, you couldn't group yourself. And so... Like, it sucks that they didn't band together, but I, I understand where they're coming from. And and these are, you know, these aren't feelings. These are, this is happening. As much as we like to think, you know, on a, no, we, we have progressed from from where, you know, Chinese exclusion act, we have progressed. But I, I think it wasn't that long ago. Like, take, for example, the Japanese-American internment camps during World War II, right? Japanese were forced to relocate, and this was forced by the U.S. government. And thousands of Japanese Americans were forced out of their homes to go to detention camps during World War II because, um, you know, obviously the the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese aircrafts on December 7th, uh, 1941. The U.S. government, they just suspected that all Japanese Americans were spies, right? Like, they just suspected. They didn't have any proof. They just rounded up these Japanese Americans and they put them into internment camps. I think what's even more surprising is, you know, you 
you think about this and you're like, oh, this couldn't have happened so close to home. And so we're from Fresno. Um, and not many people know that the Fresno Fairgrounds was actually a place that was holding these Japanese Americans. And they were incarcerated for five months before they were transferred to permanent internment camps. Even for me, like sometimes I, you know, I, I hear these just like, oh, World War II, that's such a long time ago, right? Was it really? Like 1950s, like yeah, that is pretty long ago, but it was not pretty a long recent. Time ago. Yeah. yeah, it's it's literally mm-hmm. the generation before us, mm-hmm. and so I'm amazed, frustrated that we didn't learn this right with history so close to home. Like, why are we not talking about this? Yeah, and another I want to add on to what Anu mentioned. Like, you know, it's literally the Fresno Fairgrounds. And now, you know, the Fresno Fairgrounds, it's a place where people go there for, like, the big Fresno Fair. And it's also a place where um, traditionally over uh, time now, the Hmong New Year is hosted there as well. And all of these big events. But then at the end of the day, to come to realize that, you know, I wasn't taught about, like, you know, at all about the history. Like, oh, wow, this, the Fresno Fairground was a place where, Japanese Americans were incarcerated at you know that was never taught and it's just very disappointing you know and I'm pretty sure it's the same for Katie and Anu as well but then you know I feel like these information should be taught you know K through 12 like how is it that we did not know about this but then what we may know more about the Fresno Fairgrounds as a place as the big Fresno Fair you know like those corn dogs curly fries and whatnot but then not really knowing the history of it when it wasn't really that long ago that the Japanese internment camps, you know, happened. Yes, I agree because for me, I I feel guilty because I'm one of those who did not know about this as well until I was in college, you know, taking an ethnic course. And I want to say that, like, I completely agree with what New and Anu mentioned. Like, why didn't, you know, school taught us this at an early age in the history books? But at the same time for me, like, I feel like, I hold myself accountable. Now that I know all of these information, I need to do my own research, educate myself, and how can I be, you know, in solidarity with these groups and how can I show my support? So on my behalf, I feel like it's my responsibility as well to do the best I can to, you know, learn about these ongoing things or things that happened, you know, years ago. And Katie, like, not to invalidate your feelings or anything, but it kind of irked me the wrong way when you said you felt guilty. Like, obviously, I do too. But I don't think we should feel guilty because this wasn't taught to us. Our parents, for, you know, a lot of us, were uneducated. He was more worried about surviving and feeding us and taking care of his family than learning about this history, right? And so I don't think we should feel guilty. Like, now we know this information. And like you said, it's our job to, like, learn more and educate ourselves and I think it's our responsibility to advocate and push for these to be taught because obviously they don't think it's important and so we we know it's important right because this you know kind of like when you said like Fresno Fairgrounds is as long as I can remember a place of celebration but should we really be celebrating in a place where people were incarcerated and so I think not to invalidate your feelings but I don't think we should feel guilty because it wasn't our fault. We know now, and that's why we started this podcast because we want to educate people. 
if anything, I feel like we should feel frustrated. And I feel like we, we, we want change. And that's something passion, I guess. I don't, I don't know what the word is, but I, I don't think you should feel guilty. And I think you should allow yourself a permission slip to not feel guilty because we weren't taught this. Well, I want to say thank you, Anu, for saying that because I think it's just me that I need to hear that because, you know, this could be another topic. I think it's because me being first gen and I have so much expectations of myself. So once I feel that I'm not holding that expectation or that responsibility to its, you know, effort, I start to like, you know, guilt from myself. So it's just something that I have to come in terms and learn. But I feel like this podcast will make, I think it's making us growing and learning about ourselves just like I feel like our audience will feel that too so this is I feel this is an ongoing journey you know a growth journey I completely agree and I see where you know Katie's coming from and as well as Anu's coming from and definitely to what like Katie mentioned this is a journey for us and we don't know exactly what the heck we're doing but we're going at it you know we're going at it we're starting this podcast and there is not enough conversations about you know the topics that we're talking about and it's important to talk about these different type of topics because r- rarely you know there hasn't been that much you know conversations and i think we're doing a good job and i just wanted to you know say to anu and katie that you know we are doing a good job and we're going at it we're doing it <laughs> so yeah you know we kind of talked about like the generation before us the the internment camps of the Japanese Americans was the generation before us, right? Like, like that was oh, 50 years ago. Like, like this possibly can't be happening now, right? Wrong. Like COVID nineteen, the rise of anti Asian American racist incidents. It's just almost four thousand incidents since COVID happened. These anti Asian acts or racism against Asians is is this new thing, right? Because it's never really been talked about with the whole, you know, taking into consideration the mom minority myth. To a lot of people, this is like all new information. But to us, like, knowing what we know, like, it's like this has been happening. Going off from the research we found on CNN, they had previously reported that hate crimes against Asians often go underreported due to the lack of mandatory national reporting requirements by police agencies. Not just that, but there are also factors which are longstanding distrust of law enforcement, language barriers, and immigration status that are keeping these victims from contacting the police. Researchers noticed spikes in anti-Asian hate crimes that they believe were associated with a political invective increase, as well as the amplification of stigmatizing language by former President Donald Trump. So during 2020, Trump referred to the coronavirus using the racist term Kung Flu, then he labeled it as a Chinese virus. On top of that, he went over to Twitter to tweet out these racist remarks about Asians regarding the coronavirus. According to Professor Brian Levin, the director of the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism at Cal State University San Bernardino, even though President Biden is providing leadership from the bully pulpit, there are still many that have already embraced these conspiracies and derisive stereotypes about Asians. Something that I want to add on to, you know, of the pandemic is that there is this rise against Asians and it is the Asian hate crimes. There's a definite increase in, in that. And I also wanted to mention that, you know, violence against Asians is not something new. You know, like 
like what we just mentioned about the Chinese Exclusion Act to the Japanese internment camps and you know the yellow peril the model minority myth stereotype everything it comes to realize that you know even though you know, historically we have not talked about it and people were not educated about it but one thing for sure is that violence against Asians is not new and it is a problem that has only continued to increase over time the recently the Atlanta shooting right with Robert Long which was a horrible incident and I feel like it sucks that this had to happen for us to get national attention it sucks that a mass shooting had to happen in order for us to raise awareness about Asian hate crime because I feel like for a lot of us especially Asians we knew we've been knowing that these hate crimes have been happening because we follow our Asian YouTubers we follow Asian news outlets we've been aware we've been asking for help but it wasn't until this shooting that you know we got national attention these news outlets like oh maybe we should you know talk about this so yeah with the Atlantic shooting eight people were killed six of whom were Asian women the other two were white women and another Hispanic man was wounded and so like I just can't emphasize this enough why is it that a mass shooting had to have happened in order for us to get national attention because earlier this year an 84 year old man was killed he was just walking in San Francisco roaming the streets doing his morning walk and he got pushed over and this man was Vicha and he was pronounced dead because two days later because of being pushed over by um, a 19 year old it really sucks that the Atlanta shooting had to happen in order to get national attention and so um, what baffles me is they blame this on him having a bad day like when I'm having a bad day I cry yeah right? you don't you don't go and specifically go to like Asian spa shops or whatever and like shoot up people you know yeah. it's like who does that on their bad day it's like just cry or like hit the wall or something but don't go and kill people like that makes no sense and they also said according to the news report and the police that was in charge of this case that you know part of the problem the factors was that he had a sex addiction and it's like dude that is not a reason to go and shoot up a place and kill people like that is not okay i wanted to add that like okay he has a sex addiction and he went to um spa parlors that are owned by Asian, you know, woman and, you know, stereotypes are saying that, you know, in the stereotype, people mainly say that Asian are exotic, you know, and, and those kind of phrases, those stereotypes. And I'm just all like, okay, they're saying that's not an Asian hate crime, but did he, I don't know, did he purposely chose these small parlor because he had a sex addiction or what is it? I don't know. I just find it crazy. This is obviously a hate crime. Like, say what you want. It's not that I don't care. Your feelings are valid. But let's break down the facts. Atlanta, the, the U.S. Census for 2020, Atlanta is only made up of 4% Asians. 4%. And he, he specifically went to spa parlors. Once again, enforcing stereotypes, right? Like, who works at these spa parlors? Asian women, you know? Targeting only spa parlors? There's no way this can't be a hate crime. <sighs> Whatever. <laughs> it sucks. 
it sucks. No, it sucks. no I, I get where you're coming from, Anu, mm-hmm. and, you know, this is frustrating indeed. And, you know, I just also want to, you know, shed some light that, you know, despite, like, all of these recent violent attacks that's been happening that specifically targets Asian, the Asian community, I want to, like, shed some light on the positive acts that has been occurring, but due to the lack of media attention, not many people know about it. And for example, one, um, I actually found this out from Next Shark, which, you know, is basically a media news report, but specifically for like um, information that of the Asian community. And um, it was found that this YouTuber, Sherwin, he saved this Asian guy from being mugged and attacked back in April during a live stream in London specifically. And, you know, the victim, he pleaded for help. And by chance, Sherwin was there doing his live stream, his YouTuber, YouTube thing that YouTubers do. And, you know, he was near that area. And by hearing the victim pleading and calling out for help, he went and helped him. And, you know, that act itself, it shows that there are good people out there in the world and not just bystanders. So I, you know, want to applaud to the YouTuber Sherwin. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, but you know, props to him. Cause we don't, you know, rarely do we see someone step up, you know, because more often, you know, it's sad, but there are bystanders and, you know, it's just good to see that, you know, there is hope, you know, for a better world. And I'm praying for that as well. And another thing that I want to add on to that is that, you know, there's this organization called the Stop AAPI Hate. And it was an organization that started because of basically in response to the rise in the Asian hate crimes um, of the COVID-19 pandemic, that organization was developed. And according to Stop AAPI website, they mentioned that in order to effectively address anti-Asian racism, we must work to end all forms of structural racism leveled at Black, Indigenous, and other people of color. And, you know, I completely agree to their mission statement because there is a need for reinforcement of community-based safety measures and also restorative justice efforts that are being implemented to see these changes. There's also a campaign called CS Unite, which is designed to accelerate the impact and expand support for the AAPI community through solidarity and education. I also want to bring this to our attention that recently President Biden passed the COVID-19 Hate Crimes Act, which on here, an article from NPR or National Public Radio, which is a nonprofit media organization based in Washington, said that the legislation ordered the Department of Justice to expedite the review of COVID-19 hate crimes. It also would expand efforts to make the reporting of hate crimes more accessible at the local and state levels, including providing online reporting resources that are available in multiple languages. Because for me, this is not just about Asian anymore, okay? If we're talking about racism, we're talking about, you know, long history of racism regarding different diverse groups. And I feel like this act, it won't do justice for everything. It is sending out a message of awareness that, oh, this is something that's ongoing and we need to do something about it. But I don't think it's gonna serve its purpose of like the root cause of 
racism because it's so rooted in our country that I don't even know where to untie that knot. And um, I want to ask, you know, new and a new opinion about this bill that they just passed. I agree with you as well, Katie, as like what you mentioned of how, like, yes, this is like with this COVID-19 hate crimes act, it will like basically ensure for the police um, and reinforcement that yes, this is something that we acknowledge, but I personally, you know, don't think that it will solve everything like you know the hate crimes and like what katie said like racism has been around for centuries decades and it's not gonna go away my my opinion is i'm just gonna echo you too because i completely agree with you guys like obviously probably not the answer that katie wanted but this has been you can't expect you know a paper to solve all our problems I think we're moving in the right direction, right? Because in order to solve a problem, you need to acknowledge that there is a problem. And so I think this, the Hate Crimes Act, it, it is acknowledging that our, this is happening. And so, you know, we're not going to stop here, obviously, right? We're going to take this and, you know, now that we're getting some sort of attention and, you know, people are real, realizing like, oh, this is actually a problem. I think now we need to start implementing and finding more ways to help because, you know, a lot of people not only suffered physically, like for the victims, there's also been a lot of mental health impacts. So yeah, basically, you know, not only are there like, you know, the victims literally experiencing physical trauma, right? You know, for everyone else, there's also mental health issues. People are scared to walk outside in fear of getting discriminated, in fear of dying. And so we we also have to, we just have to do better. And, you know, we, we need to realize that, you know, this is affecting our mental health, our emotional health, and um, we need interventions and uh, intervention workshops, and we need support groups, um, something that you don't really see in the Asian community. <laughs> uh, and, you know, we needed to collaborate with community leaders or, or counselors and um, grassroots organizations and uh, mental health advocacies and anti-stigma campaigns because, you know, we as Asians, we don't really ask for help. And I feel like, I feel like that's why a lot of the victims are older people and women because they just don't, we, you know, it doesn't help that Hollywood depicts us as like, especially women, like, do either super exotic or docile, right? Like, anyways, it, it doesn't help that we are perceived as individuals who who won't speak up for ourselves. And first off, you're targeting elderly who, culturally, we they don't speak up for themselves. And you want to know why we don't speak up for ourselves? Not us, but older generation. It's because a lot of these individuals are refugees. They're running from a war-torn country. They're coming as immigrants to the United States, the land of freedom, the land of opportunity, the American dream. And they're coming here, and they're just thankful enough for the opportunity to be here. And you have to be aware that we as Asians, it's just, you know, what. first off, I don't want to speak on behalf of all Asians, right? But just from speaking with, you know, you, um, Katie and New and my other Asian friends, it's just like, this is... This is the thing, right? We we don't like to 
put ourselves in the spotlight because we realize that other people have it worse than us. We are grateful for the opportunities that were given to us. We are grateful that, you know, we have a meal. We have tomorrow to look forward to. We don't, not saying that we don't speak up for ourselves, but it's just, we know that people have it worse and that's why we don't speak up. And so I don't blame the generation before us. It's just how they were. But I think it's it's our turn to um, speak up on behalf of the older generations and the tr- traditional Asians who won't speak up for themselves. And culturally, you know, we, we, we are thankful for the opportunities we are given and we don't want to be an inconvenience. That's why we don't speak about our issues. And I think, I feel like for me, it's still ingrained in me, but it's, I'm slowly learning how to change and realizing that for my mental health purposes, like I can't go on like this. I can't keep everything bottled up. I think it's important for us to speak up on behalf of our elders because if we don't speak up, who will? No, yeah, I agree with everything you mentioned, Anu, and how you mentioned that, you know, historically we've been taught to, for our, you know, the generation before us, to turn the other cheek and not to go against the traditional norms. And it's true. Now is, I feel like more than ever, it is our time even though, you know, as you mentioned, that it's been ingrained in you to be taught that way. But then, you know, I feel like now that we know of this, and I also want to mention, you know, the importance to have cultural competency as well as cultural awareness. And it just, honestly, I have never learned anything about, like, cultural competence or having cultural awareness till basically my third year into college. Like, I, like, literally thinking about it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so sad. But then, you know, just learning it now in college is just made me realize that, you know, it's important to have cultural competence and cultural awareness and to become culturally competent, according to the culturally competent practice, a framework for understanding the diverse groups and justice issue. It's basically the process by which individuals and systems respond respectfully and effectively to people of all cultures that recognizes affirms and values the worth of individuals, families, and communities. I'm so thankful to be given the opportunity to learn what cultural competence is and the different type of skills and to be able to have these knowledge and have cultural awareness to understand that every single ethnicity groups are different and they come from different backgrounds. And despite, you know, of all, understand these differences and also acknowledges them, but also we have to take in the, what is it, initiative to actually learn of these things. Because I, for one, would have never known about this if I had not taken that class. And I'm just grateful to be able to take that class, to be able to know of these information and how important it is. And just tying this back to like tying this back to the Asian hate crimes and the Asian racism, the increase of everything, it made me realize how important it is to have cultural competence and cultural awareness. So it really starts from within us to take on that act upon ourselves. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I agree with the both of you. And um I have so many comments while you and Anu were like talking about all of this. And first of all, 
uh, to chime in onto what you say new about cultural competence. This, I think this is something that I struggle with too, with not myself, but with other people where I'm like, if you're hiring someone, wouldn't you want someone to have that culture competence or culture awareness within your workforce? Like, because I feel like there's a culture within that workforce and you want everyone to have that, you know, certain extent of knowledge to just respect others. Also, what new Anu was mentioning about earlier about us just being so grateful, you know, living in America and all that, I think the the perfect word to describe that is being humble. I think we're so humble for this opportunity being here that we sometimes, I think we normalize it to the point where we're so like, oh, we're inconvenient and we're, we just want to be humble and we don't want to overstep our boundaries. And I feel like, no, it's okay to be selfish because I feel like the word selfish is so like used um, negatively, like a negative connotation. But I feel like, it's totally okay to be selfish, you know, for a once in a while, because I feel like for me, I feel I only live once and it's totally fine to do things that I love. And sometimes even though I feel that it's going against what I'm taught, if it's, if it makes me happy and it's something that I want to do, I should go for it. And like, just going full circle of everything that both of my lovely co-host talked about for me personally like speaking up was always difficult in my household because I'm so rooted within my family and I also I'm the oldest I'm not the oldest I'm the second oldest so that kind of I have the higher you could say uh, responsibility within my household so then it was really hard for me to speak up and I wasn't able to speak up for until I was in high school Sorry to say this again anew, but I did feel guilty. I did really feel guilty for just speaking up. And I'm not only saying speaking up, you know, in uh, the real world. I feel guilty for speaking up in my household. How crazy is that to feel uncomfortable talking about your feelings in your own household? That's to now that I'm thinking about it, it's crazy how I felt that way. But at that moment, I feel guilty to be myself in my own household. And now I'm just thinking back and there's so much growth now, but um, I, for me, I did, it did take a lot of courage for me to speak up within my household because if I feel like if I didn't, then it will uh, haunt me. And um, if I did, it will still haunt me because I think it's just me because, you know, growing up in a household that I was, it was, it's really hard for me to speak up my mind and once I did so I really was relieved and I feel so much um, ease and healing that it makes me happy and I'm happy to be here with the both of you <laughs> someone take well, it away Katie I just wanted to let you know that you know your feelings are valid and nothing is easy in life you know and just you know being able to now being able to speak up now that you know it may have been you know hard then but now I'm just you know I want to say give give yourself a pat in the back you know because and honor your feelings of everything you go through because everything that you mentioned you know I just want to say you know you did it girl like you know even though it was hard then you did it you're able to speak up now and I, you know, that's amazing. And I'm proud of you for doing so to be able to speak up. And also, um, I want to add on that, you know, to be able to have these conversations is basically just to understand what's happening around the world. 
And now, like, you know, beforehand, it might have been, you know, hard because it wasn't a normal thing, you know, because I feel like in Asian household, like traditional Asian households, like, I feel like on to me, like, you know, not in in speaking for all of the Asian community, but I feel like for me, or maybe the same for Anu or Katie, it may have been hard and difficult to have those serious conversations of what's happening around the world. But then I feel like now that we are having these conversations, it's good to challenge one and another's thoughts and also to respect everyone's different viewpoints because not everyone's gonna think the same. Like what I think may not be the same as Katie and vice versa with Anu. And not just that, but like, I feel like from now on, like our generation moving forth to the future is to basically understand like what is going on in our world and make those changes, even though it may be as simple as, you know, just speaking up for ourselves, it takes practice. I feel like, you know, it's our generation's job to understand what is going on and make those changes to the future. And as little as it is to like speaking up, for example, it takes time and practice. And for that, it's just to have that understanding. And that, you know, goes back to cultural competence you know, have that understanding, have that cultural awareness. And as simple as it is, it's just to simply take the initiative to learn and unlearn, you know, what society has depicted, you know, painting this portrayal of what is right or what is wrong. I feel like it starts from within ourselves to teach ourselves, you know, of what these uh, right or wrong is. And this basically wraps up our conversation for episode two. Oh my God, guys. And we can't wait to chat with everyone in the next episode. So feel free to check us out on Instagram at Wide Eyes Podcast. Thank you for listening.